Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, an explanation blog about your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host, PD, and I'm here with Dale. Dale, welcome back. How's it going, man? It's going well. Happy New Year. We haven't had a chance to, yeah. to chat or see each other since the New Year. Yes, happy 2022. Before we get into it, we have late breaking news before we're recording here on Monday night. Uh, Gregory Hoffman has been suspended by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, he had left the team for personal reasons in December. Um, it was understood that he was returning to Switzerland to be there for the birth of his daughter. Um, and everything appears to be fine with that, healthy and happy and all that. But he informed the team that he was not going to be returning to them. So they have suspended him so that they can uh, eventually terminate the remainder of his contract. Um, it sounds like the team was blindsided by this decision. They expected him to come back. So what what are your initial thoughts on the end of the Gregory Hoffman era in Columbus? Yeah, on a personal level, you know, congrats to him. Um, that's awesome. You know, the club, one thing about the Blue Jackets uh, and, and a lot of teams around the league too, they've been very good about, you know, letting players leave for for the, for the personal reasons. And so great for him to be able to be there for the birth of his daughter. Um, you know, from a team perspective, you know, we don't really lose much, unfortunately. Um, this is a guy that he kind of failed to contribute at a high level this year. It was in and out of the lineup as of recently. Um, you know, before the COVID break, not so, you know, not surprising. The club sounds shocked by it, but, um, you know, good for him. He, he's going to stay in Switzerland, stay with his wife and, and his new daughter. And um, I'm sure he's thrilled with that. Um, but, you know, we'll just keep chugging along here with, with the team um, that we have, I suppose. Yeah, I would, I would just love to get a straight answer from him. Not that he owes us any explanation. And not that I need to be public, like just personally, I would love to be able to talk to Gregory Hoffman and find out if there was anything about the Blue Jackets in particular that he didn't want to come back to, or if it was strictly a personal thing where it was hard being away from his wife during this time, and that once he was back there with her and with the daughter, that he decided that he just couldn't leave them, which... Mm-hmm would also be a completely understandable decision to make as much mm-hmm. as I'm sure that he loved the chance to get to play in the NHL. 
being away from your family is a really, really hard thing. I mean, hell, it would be hard for me if I were just playing in a different state, you know, let alone across an ocean, let alone while we're still in the middle of a pandemic, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But I'd just be curious if there was something particular Mm -hmm. that was keeping him away from Columbus or if it was just the draw to be back home, Mm because I can certainly understand that. And maybe his uh, decision would have been different if he was playing, um, you know, top minutes, Mm -hmm. contributing, um, it, you know, if he was in the lineup every single night, maybe his decision would have been different, but, you know, third and fourth line minutes in and out of the lineup, healthy scratches, um, you know, maybe that was the determining factor that, um, it wasn't worth sticking around and, and, you know, just practicing with the team and sitting in the press box. So, so yeah, disappointing a little bit. Yeah. I, I do wonder if he maybe could have been a better fit with a different NHL team. You know, part of me was hoping that, he would be one of a number of players that would be traded by the deadline. I don't know how much value he would have had, though, but if we could have at least recouped the seventh-round pick we paid to get him, um, then I would have taken that. But maybe a team would have given something a little higher, you know. I was hoping maybe to get him back in the lineup just to see if he improved and could mm-hmm. up his trade value, but apparently that's not going to happen. Um, but obviously, long-term, it doesn't really hurt us much. Um, because I just didn't see much of a future here with the team just because of his age, because as you said, he, he was given opportunities to play top six minutes in some games and had played with some good players at time and didn't really, yeah, didn't really leave much of an impression. I mean, I think he showed it up to show me that he was an NHL level talent, but as a depth forward Mm -hmm. and we just don't really have a need for a, 29 year old depth forward you know we've got young players that can fill in on those roles and then eventually work their way up he's just kind of taking up space you know and i it sounds callous to say it that way and i don't mean it that way um you know i give him credit for giving a shot i don't blame the team for seeing him as someone worth taking a gamble on you know and ultimately it won't have cost him that much a seventh round pick and then you know three months worth of his veteran minimum salary from a player that was here just briefly. We're going to turn to a player who has been around the league for a very long time. Jakob Voracek on Thursday played in his 1000th regular season NHL game. This is a a huge milestone, quite an accomplishment to, to reach that figure. It requires a lot of uh, injury luck to stay healthy uh, also requires you to be a pretty damn good player to be under contract for all that time. So he's been in the NHL for 14 seasons. He becomes the second Bl- Blue Jackets draftee to reach the 1,000-game mark. Rick Nash, of course, was the first one to do that. Uh, he was with the Rangers at the time. Uh, I kind of I really appreciate that Voracek was able to be back as a Blue Jacket to hit this milestone. Uh, then on Saturday, as the team was back in Columbus, they honored him before the game with a pregame ceremony. His family was on hand. He received a lot of uh, tokens of appreciation from the league, from the franchises he played for, from the players that he has played with, is currently playing with. When I mention Jake Voracek, what comes to mind for you? I think the biggest thing that comes to mind to me is things that we've talked about before the missed opportunity for this franchise to keep him when he was young um, and let him develop 
you know, he's obviously a great player and one that this franchise could have used over the years. The return that we got for him ended up not really being anything. Um, so losing that was was hard. I think that he's the second Blue Jacket draft pick ever to yeah. reach a thousand games. Rick Nash is the other, I believe. And he was a ranger, right, when he hit that milestone. Um, so it kind of speaks to <laughs> the bad luck of, of this franchise, right? At the beginning mm-hmm. of, of, uh, of the history, um, Voracek was drafted in 2007. Um, so there's, you know, all those years before that mark to have the chance to draft somebody other than Rick Nash um, to hit a thousand games. I don't know. It's rare, right? 363, I believe now Something is the number, like that, Yeah, but you know, Voracek had a lot of success in Philly. Um, and it's got to be weird for a player like that. He spent 10 years in Philly to come back and get celebrated um, as a blue jacket for a thousand games. Um, but he's, he's a, he's a great guy. I'm really happy. He's a blue jacket again. He's been great for this team. Um, and hopefully we get another good two and a half years out of him, you know, possibly more if he stays healthy. So we'll see. Yeah. I, I do feel like the way he's playing, I could definitely see him having a lot more games left in him. You know, it was funny in the, videos with all the various teammates that were wishing him congratulations one of them was Yarmir Yager obviously the the greatest Czech player to ever play so uh, I think it's special to get someone like him on the tribute video as well and I love that he joked that oh you know you still have 700 games to catch me or whatever and uh Borchek was asked after the game like oh hey you know you think you can catch Yager and he said oh absolutely not you know he does not does not feel like he has 700 games left in him but yeah I think he definitely has two and a half more seasons left in him at least Mm -hmm. considering how well he's playing this year I mean I was looking up the numbers and his assist rate is close to the highest in his career which is wow. saying quite a lot to be in his 14th yeah. season and producing assists as high as he ever has. He's also the top of the league towards the top of the league at primary assists. In primary assists. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah, he has been so much better than I thought. And I thought he, I could see him being a good addition. I did not expect him to be as transformative for the team as he has been because he is a guy that whoever he's on the ice with, he's making them better. He's giving them opportunities to score. He has provided some veteran leadership to the team. Uh, he has a good attitude on the team. You know, it seems like he's kind of a a loose guy, a fun guy, and I think that that is generally a good addition to the locker room. Um, it was interesting. There was a quote from Zach Wierenski where he said that, you know, for as much as Jake has the reputation of being fun-loving, but that he also is still very much a competitor and gets very competitive about things. Once he's on the ice, it's all business. Um, and that even in practice, when they have scrimmages, that Jake gets really into it. And so Wierenski said that he loves to be on the opposite team. He tries to be on the opposite team because he sees how mad it is for <laughs> when he loses. And Zach likes to be the one to cause that. So I think that was, awesome. that, was, that was really neat. I also enjoyed seeing the the videos that were put together mm-hmm. for him and seeing the shots of him at his draft year and how young he looked. And obviously, you know, clean-shaven, baby-faced, this kind of awkward teen, you know, and then the shots of him with those, you know, like the 2009 Blue Jackets scoring goals and everything. Um, and it's just, it's funny to see how it's come full circle and how he's grown. Now he looks like this kind of 
old man by you know hockey player standards with the big beard and everything like that so it's just it's been quite a career for him to come full circle and uh you know hopefully there's more to come so what about the next players hit that milestone i don't know about um you know Derek Broussard is close there i'm not sure he's going to quite get there um Cordy mentioned that in his article but as far as current blue jacket players go Zach Wierenski um you know he's on pace for for that number you know Cole Sillinger he's 18 years old and he's gonna looks like he's gonna get 80 plus games in this year um so you know there's a lot of you know potential guys on the current roster that could hit that in in the future yeah so yeah the only players uh that are within striking distance among Blue Jackets draftees would be Derek Broussard and Chris Russell and I think each of those guys is close enough and I think each of them could stick around for another couple of years to hit that mark perhaps. Um, yeah. Wierenski is the only one that I feel like is definitely on pace for it. Uh, I th- did the math uh, recently. I think if he plays every game over the six years of his contract extension, plus, you know, whatever's left of this year, that gets him, I think, within a season's worth of games of a thousand. So then it's just a question of, you know, will he still be a Blue Jacket then? Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, will he be able to stay healthy? Will he be able to play all those games for all those years? Um, you know, who knows? Um, but yeah, he'd be another one I would certainly love to see him hit that mark. But yeah, the big question is, you know, can we get someone who will hit a thousand games? as a blue jacket Mm -hmm. and i hope it happens someday uh, because it's just been really hard to find a player that will have played their entire career as a blue jacket Mm -hmm. um i think i see i could definitely see boone jenner finishing as a blue jacket but it might end up being just at the end of his you know next contract that he signed already you know Mm -hmm. i don't know how much long he would be playing after that just the way that he plays now he's, you know, stayed pretty healthy in recent years, but he plays a hard kind of game. And I don't know that it's going to age well enough to get another contract beyond that. And I don't think, you know, the four more years after this or whatever are going to be enough to get him to that thousand game mark. Mm-hmm. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day. Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. 
New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So uh, last week, the Jackets played three games, and there were three kind of different results. They got blown out by the Tampa Bay Lightning. They lost a close but not that close game in New Jersey, and then they came home and they got revenge against New Jersey. Um, Kind of sums up the way the season's gone, that they're kind of up and down, hot or cold. What stood out to you from, from the last week of games? What stood out to me is that defensive side of the puck is, is really hurting this team, continues to really hurt this team. Yeah. Obviously the Tampa Bay, like seven goals, that's that's rough. The Devils on Thursday night when they lost, um, New Jersey only put up three goals, um, but some of them were stinkers. Um, mm-hmm. Wide open guys, you know, no help defensively. Um, and then even in the win the other night, uh, the Devils – had put up three goals. And by the, by the time that they had scored their third goal, I think they had only had 20 something shots on that in the low twenties, 21 or 22 or something. And it was just not Corby had let in a stinker. The defense was just playing really well. Um, and honestly, if Corby doesn't stand on his head in the third period, that's a loss. Um, he robbed the devils of several goals going down the stretch there. Um, so that's one thing that stands out to me. The other thing is that um, the team, is still mostly playing a good offensive game. Um, It was nice to see the power play convert. Um, I know that game wise and attempts wise, it hasn't been a huge number, but it was over a month in, (laughs) in in our time. Right. Um, Right. So it seemed like, like forever. Um, So I think off the top of my head, those are probably the the first couple of things that stand out. Yeah. You know, one thing that that strikes me too, about the, the home game against New Jersey is that the roster was, closer to optimal than it had been earlier in the week, given all the, the COVID and other injury issues we've had. Um, you know, we talk about the, the issues the power plate had. Well, you know, it was pointed out that that Saturday game was the first time that we had had our top power play unit all together, because even when line A came back, other guys were out, you know, so you finally had the ideal five, power play players there on ice together and it worked out so which i think okay things were working as planned then finally because we just hadn't had what we needed and similarly on defense i feel like the six defensemen that we iced on saturday are the six best defensemen that we have under contract at the moment and they had not been on the ice together like that i don't believe what did you think? So I wasn't able to see the game on Saturday. What did you think of Wierenski and Boquist playing together? Yes, that wasn't the first time. They played together a little bit before the uh, COVID break. Um, and I think they, they go well together. Um, Boquist is still, he's 21 years old. Yeah. Um, and he's prone to some defensive lapses. Uh, but they move the puck really well. They're both really, really good skaters. And... I'd be interested to see them stick together for a while. Obviously, Boquist is a right-hand shot, um, so that helps. Yeah, I like them together. Wierenski probably supports Boquist a little better defensively than maybe somebody else um, other than maybe Gavrikov, but I don't know the numbers off the top of my head about those two playing together. But why not? Just give it a shot. Um, somebody experienced like Wierenski um, 
could be great for, for Boquist long term. Do you think it, it is sort of like the Jones and Lorensky pairing in terms of taking your two best defensemen and putting them together? And then also in this case, Lorensky is maybe playing the Jones role in terms of obviously an offensively skilled guy, but better defensively. And so he can be the one that can cover for Boquist and allow Boquist then to thrive offensively. Yeah, I think there's an element of that. Um, I really think that from more of a development perspective, it's good for Boquist um, to be in that position. Um, you know, the, I'm not sure how much, obviously from a coaching staff standpoint, right? They're looking at those things because mm-hmm. their job is to win games. Um, from a management sta- standpoint, I'm not too too sure Yarmo is worried about, um, you know, the results on the ice if, if that pairing is, is good for developmentally for Boquist. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, do, I definitely do think it could be a, a Wierenski-Jones type type situation. Um, Wierenski's grown a lot. I mean, when he was first came into the league, he struggled defensively. Jones was there to back him up. Um, but yeah, let's give it a shot. Let's see. Let's see how it goes. What do you think? Yeah, well, it's interesting you, you mentioned development because I feel like this comes up with with Boquist. It comes up with Sillinger and Chinikov and... Um, as some of these young players have hit rough stretches, some people I think have this knee jerk reaction to say, Oh, well they should go down to Cleveland and work through their things. But I think that there is value to these players learning how to work through a cold streak at the NHL level, because even veteran players that are very good can go through rough patches and they can't get just sent down to the AHL they have to work through it while still playing at the NHL level. Um, I think there is value to a player getting sent down to the AHL in certain cases where I think that would be necessary is if the player was starting to do the wrong things here, or if they were starting to develop bad habits or if they were having such damage to their confidence, but with, Boquist and Sillinger and Chitikov. I don't know that I've seen that even when they were going through a rough patch. Now with Boquist, I think his rough patch is mostly just being injured since he's been healthy. I think he's been great. Um, but Sillinger, he was not producing. He was invisible at times, but I don't know that I saw him doing anything particularly wrong. I wasn't seeing any bad habits develop and a bad habit. I would mean like having an open net and not shooting at it or, shooting too quickly, just taking a wide shot or, you know, a far out shot rather than the better shot Um, or being really sloppy with the puck or something like that. I didn't see any of that really from Sillinger. So, and then here over this last week, I feel like something has clicked for Sillinger and that by just playing through it, by working with the coaches, by practicing with NHLers, whatever it took, he has maybe figured out what was going wrong and has worked through it. And I think that he is now playing better. I think he's now playing with confidence. And I think having gone through that year in his rookie year is going to benefit him long-term because he learned how to work through that thing. Do you, do you agree or disagree? I, I agree. Uh, I think you made a lot of really good points and, a lot of it too is is maintaining confidence with these players. You look at a guy like Adam Boquist. He's twenty one years old, but on Tuesday, Tuesday is his hundredth game in the NHL. Mm-hmm. 
So he's been around. He's played a lot of games. He can't send a guy like that down, right, without crushing his confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was a proponent of sending or thinking about sending Sillinger down, especially after that Tampa Bay loss. He went through he went through a stretch for about a month, you know, three weeks where he just looked like he was struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, he, especially when playing the good teams like the Hurricanes and the Lightning, um, Sillinger had just had a really rough time. And you could see it on the ice when he was out there too. Um, but, you know, there's a reason that that I'm not a uh, <laughs> NHL GM. Um, and it's the, it's the things that you don't see in the practices um, on the bench, right? One thing that really stands out about Cole Sillinger and has all season is that he is a really confident guy. Um, he's really mature and, you know, maybe he's not getting frustrated. Maybe he's not regressing, like you said, making mistakes and he's playing through it. And um, I agree the last couple games, he's been a lot better and he's had a lot of chemistry with, um, with Chinikov that, that continues to, to grow. Um, so, and Domi too, he's, he's played well with Domi. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think at this point it's probably safe to say that unless anything crazy happens, Sillinger is probably up for the whole year. Um, oh yeah, which is which is pretty which is pretty amazing. If you had what what the odds would have been prior to training camp on that happening, um, you know, it would have been pretty pretty low. Yeah, I mean, we weren't even sure that he was going to make the roster to start the season, but the way that he played in preseason, it was he made it impossible to send him down. And, and again, I think he's showing that he's able to keep doing enough to earn his spot on the roster. And, um, you know, late in the game on Saturday, you know, his jackets were clinging to a one goal lead and he was out there on the ice. So he's starting to earn that trust from Larson that he could be on the ice in those high leverage situations, even defensively. And the coaches obviously feel that he's developed enough to be able to play that role and that they can put him up on a line with guys like Voracek and Bjorkstrand and be a legitimate top six line. And it's great to see. I don't know if you saw this, since we're talking about Boquist and Stillinger, um, Porty uh, on The Athletic um, had was talking about Boquist and Stillinger and, and talking about Jones coming back to or mm. the first game against uh, Chicago with Jones. And um, a source from Chicago had told Porty that the Blackhawks really wanted to draft Sillinger at that spot. Um, and then also prior to the draft, I guess earlier in the year, uh, they had told Boquist that they weren't going to trade him. Um, and then they ended up doing that. So interesting little tidbits there. Um, yeah. Two guys that have played really well for the Blue Jackets so far this year and young guys that can potentially have, have really great careers. Yeah. You know, it's, I, if I were a Blackhawks fan reading that, I would be just pulling my hair out because they just they gave up so much. And Jones has been playing better of late, uh, especially since they made the coaching change. But still, is he worth you know the eight full eight years? Is he worth the nine million dollars? All oh, that's going to kick in next season, not even the, mm-hmm. this season, next season. Um, and considering the number of pieces that they gave up for it. The fact that they're not going to make the playoffs this year and they're not going to get a first round pick. I think it was a desperation move by Stan Bowman. I think he was trying desperately to get this team back to the playoffs when they really were not as close as he thought. Um, And now he's out of a job. Now he's out of the job for other reasons. But 
I think there were hockey reasons as well that he should have been on thin ice. Um, boy, it puts puts the Blackhawks in a really tough situation because I think they have to look hard at doing a a bigger rebuild now, and this makes it harder because they've got this big Jones contract that they're not going to be able to move, and they don't have the draft pick that you need to replenish the pipeline. Um, and also it hurts to not have a young guy like Boquist that you could certainly build a defense around as well. It kind of shows, it kind of shows the desperation of you have two uh, players in, in Kane and Taves that um, are just really phenomenal players. You know, they're going up in age. And I think that there was just kind of a lot of panic in Chicago's part to say, Hey, we've got to do something while these guys are still around. Um, and who knows that that could end up being, a terrible decision. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what Pittsburgh does. Now, Pittsburgh's playing really well this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, I don't know what's happened to them recently, but I think they're up to nine games in a row or something. And they've been ha- having a great season, but Malkin and Crosby in a few years, they're going to be getting up there in age two. And um, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that too. But also the fact that they've shown that they were able to win games, even with one or both of those guys out. Um, so maybe they'll take that as a sign that they've got guys that they can continue to build around and they don't necessarily need these, these legends going forward or, you know, don't have to Mm -hmm. overspend to keep those guys around or to try to Mm -hmm. overinvest on bringing in extra help when they can just stick to a certain long-term plan there. Um, talk about a team that's had some success in the draft. Yeah, you know, in later later picks and later rounds. I mean, come on, that's it's a little bit unfair. <laughs> it's very it's very unfair. I hate it, but you know, tip your hat to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that Pittsburgh is coming into town uh, next week, and that'll be interesting to face them for the first time this season. Uh, but we'll have more to talk about that in the coming weeks as we hit to that. So that will do it for us this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Canon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to angelaperley.com for more music and show dates.